0: I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you, love you. Mwah. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was
1: different. Yep, rosy but different. Places, please, and here we go.
0: Welcome, ladies gentlemen, bears Vorta. And things to episode 79 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman,
1: and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve?
0: Oh, that's the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Original Series.
1: And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Linda Lavin, or Lavin, and Star Trek Original Series episode All Our Yesterdays. Uh, but
0: before we get to the reviews, Jarman, do we have any feedback?
1: We do, and uh, so you might be able to tell that Steve and I are recording these in a little bit in advance, so this is uh, – Yeah, man. By the time you hear this feedback, it, was, it came a long time ago, but we, uh, a Kathy Fraggle or Blind Fraggle on Twitter said, Whoa. I just – it wasn't to us. Originally, she was just posting to um, Muppet Profiles and Trek Profiles, these two other podcasts and Twitter people. I just realized I have Muppet Profiles and Trek Profiles on my Twitter. You're not the same person, are you? Either way, it's pretty cool. And then Muppet Profiles podcast responded and said, Kathy Fraggle, check out Trek Profiles if you haven't already. It's a great show. Our name was inspired by it, which I now realize we neglected to mention before our show came out. I apologize for that at Trek Profiles. Thank you for your awesome show and for inspiring us. And then they said, P.S. If you're looking for a great Muppet slash Trek mashup, check out Muppet Trek. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then, whoa, we got recommended. We
1: did, and Blind Fraggle responded. Ooh, now that one I hadn't heard of. Thanks. So, Blind Fraggle, we hope you're listening. And, and thank, thank you, more Muppet Trek. Thank
0: you, Muppet Muppet Files or Muppet Files. Yeah, yeah, Muppet Files. Muppet, Make Muppet, sure Muppet sure Profiles. Tag yeah, them. Tag them, German.
1: Muppet Profiles. I've responded to a couple of times. They've actually uh, tweeted on a couple of things we've said in the past. So, thanks, Muppet Profiles. You guys are great. And Trek Profiles. Exactly. I, I will have to at them. Yes, that's a good idea. When this episode comes them. out, we will at them as the kids say. <laughs> Is
0: that what the kids say?
1: Maybe if they're still Am on, I a kid, kids aren't on Twitter. They don't know. They don't do Twitter. That's so not cool to them right now. But uh.
0: <laughs> but anyways, we're so behind.
1: <laughs> Steve, tell us about the special guest star Linda Lavin this week.
0: Uh, well, Linda Lavin, an American actress and singer. Uh, She got her start acting on Broadway, gaining attention, and uh, at Tony for her performance in uh, Last of the Red Hot Lovers. Ooh. Her biggest role came as the title character of the show Alice uh, on the hit show Alice, uh, which was at its height when she she guested the Muppet show here. It ran for, I think, nine or ten seasons. Oh, wow. Uh, What does our audience know her from? Well, she's still kicking around. And while she continues to act, uh, she has more than a dozen imdb credits since 2010 yeah i have notable to say um, roles in uh santa clarita diet oh gotcha and her a current show uh be positive ah
1: i thought she looked so familiar and i looked her up and i was like oh she looks just like um uh bergman what's her name uh murphy's law what's her name Candace Bergen, Candace Bergen, and a young Candace Bergen. And then I found out she was on uh, Grey's Anatomy and a close friend of ours, Pam. Uh, shout out to Pam out there. She loves Grey's Anatomy. And I told her the character name. She's like, oh, yeah, I remember her. <laughs> and so she's she yeah. was on this episode of Grey's Anatomy once and she remembered her.
0: Yeah, she's done like single episode and few episode arcs on a ton of shows. over yeah. years. she's still kicking. Uh, but what's she up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, the backstage plot. Is, well, it's Kermit's birthday. The back is decorated with green balloons and swamp reeds and French flags, which means they're making fun. They're calling French people frogs, which I thought was <laughs> amusing. Yeah. Uh, the Swedish chef prefer, pre- prepares a Kermit cake, and Linda helps him by putting the eyes on it before he spray paints it green. Uh, and then we get not backstage, but up in the balcony, we get a visit with Statler and Waldorf where they reflect on getting older and they somberly sing it was a very good year. Before, like, breaking down in tears and, like, comforting each other. It's very sweet. So not backstage, but, man, that was crazy. I was surprised. On stage this week, uh, Kermit comes out to introduce Zuzu, the Hungarian water juggler. Piggy (laughs) informs him that she sent Zuzu home and canceled his act uh, because she has something special planned for Kermit's birthday. We get a bunch of frogs performing in front of Kermit's face. Be a frog joined by a horse, cow, and some pigs that all have Kermit-style eyes and green collars. Fozzie then introduces a surprise for Kermit. It's his old acting teacher, Mr. Dawson, who taught him how to wave his arms and go, <laughs> <laughs> um, Next up, Linda Lavin is with The Electric Mayhem. They perform The More ICU," uh, which features a fair bit of scat-like singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of a, a, a rough, jazzy number. It's very good. Following this, we get Nephew Robin and some other frogs performing Frog Kissin'. It's a sweet country bluesy kind of tune yeah, as they perform cute. in The Swamp. And we then get veterinarians hospital on the table is nephew Robin. Doctor Bob makes a series of frog jokes. Piggy gets defenses of Ro- defensive of Robin because she's going to be his aunt someday, mm. Auntie Piggy. The next surprise for Kermit is the return of Wayne and Wanda from season one, and I think one time in season two. It turns <laughs> out they've really been on the ropes since Kermit fired them. He can't remember why, so he hires them back on, only to then immediately fire them again. They sing horribly. <laughs> Uh, Linda hits the stage for a closing number beyond the blue horizon. Linda sits atop a giant cake as the Muppets force Kermit up and onto stage. Kermit ends up on top uh, as the number comes to its big climactic end. Kermit thanks Linda one last time. He then reveals that his birthday is four months away. Uh, Piggy is outraged. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. (laughs) So Norman, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show with Linda Lavin?
1: I was watching this with Jolie, and, and halfway through, she's like, "Would it be funny if it's not actually his birthday?" <laughs> <Then> <laughs> and at the end, it's not his birthday.
0: It's like an M Night Shyamalan movie. Oh yeah, what a it. twist. <laughs> um, is a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a ghost all along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was a fun episode, and I, I like the um, the sudden change up. Like, what is Piggy doing on stage? What is she saying? And then it was his birthday. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's a little. It's a change up. But the thing was, I think it might have all been a conceit to not do enough with Linda Lavin. Like she had a couple numbers and he introduces her, I think, which kind of is a bad thing. As saying she's a comedic mus- musical actress because they didn't have much funny things for her to do. Like I bet she's she seemed very talented and very funny and interesting, but they just didn't give her much funny things to do, which was kind of upsetting.
0: I think they were relying on the backstage bits with her, her with the Swedish chef mm. um, and her with Piggy. To kind of carry that comedy. And I think she came off as very sweet and pleasant. Uh, But you're right. The comedy got lost in that regard.
1: Yeah. It's like she said, cute Um, things that weren't very like comedic heavy, which I was like that. She seemed like she's actually pretty funny. So I'm surprised they didn't have better dialogue. She
0: was in a good amount of the episode too. She had, I think, two backstage things, two onstage numbers.
1: Mostly just responding to what they're doing kind of thing. It was just kind of. Right.
0: And she had that backstage moment with Piggy early. So Yeah. Um, I kind of agree. I think she's one of the better female singers we've had. I maybe in all of the Muppet show.
1: It's weird that she was singing well, but then she got off key a few times.
0: It was when she, it was during, I noticed one time during the end when she really got high in her register. I feel
1: like she's a lower singer, like an alto or
0: something. Um, but I thought she did great in the like scat number. The more I see you. It showed her personality. She's kind of jazzy, funny,
1: smart. Yeah. She could bend her
0: voice a little bit. Yeah, um, and held up against the electric mayhem.
1: Um, I love the Swedish Chef's Kermit like cake monstrosity that was made out of like what was it chicken livers <laughs> or something or pate? Yeah, and, or then,
0: and then doesn't when she takes like uh, like a, a hard boiled egg, cuts it in half, and it becomes his eyes. It's real, it's real <laughs> gross.
1: And then she backs off as he starts spray, spray painting it green, and then that was the thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was a kind of slightly upper middle episode, but I thought it could have been like a even top level episode if they had utilized her better because i think she's talented yeah. they just didn't utilize her very well
0: uh, i agree i think structurally this is a very good episode in that we have a good overarching theme which really ties everything together mm-hmm. a good backstage plot that doesn't overstate overshadow what's going on on stage which has sometimes happened uh, a couple good musical numbers a couple good standards like we kind of get a Swedish chef's kitchen kind of we get a veterinarian's hospital um, on paper, I think this is a, a good episode, but you're right. Something just didn't quite click,
1: right? It was really, I love the idea of it being his birthday. It's something very different and just makes the, it'll make this episode stand out when I look back at it, but it's just, yeah, there was something that a little spice they didn't add at the end there somehow. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, well music this week, uh, be a frog, which is actually be a clown, uh, written for the film, the pirate by Cole Porter. This often gets mistaken for make them laugh. We were saying that. We'll rain, to it It
1: sounded so much like make them laugh from singing in the rain.
0: Incredibly similar. Yeah. And they're both MGM productions that both starred G- Gene Kelly. Oh, wow. <laughs> like there is a reason these two songs get confused all the time. That's and funny. that is why, uh, the more I see you by uh, Harry Warren and Mac Gordon, uh, Warren was the first major American composer who was known for writing mostly for movies. Hmm. He was nominated for 11 Oscars and won three times for Best Original Song, uh, with his biggest hit being Lullaby of Broadway. Lullaby of Broadway. <laughs> uh, Frog Kissin', written by Buddy Kolb. He was attached to uh, Ray Stevens, who was a like country bluegrass comedian uh, and co-wrote many songs with him. Ray Stevens is most famously known for that song, The Streak.
1: And I'm My Own Grandpa. Sang that Is that song. him? Ah, my own grandpa. That's him
0: too. Yeah. Uh, it was a very good year uh, written by Irvin Drake. Uh, while originally performed uh, by Bob Shane in the Kingston trio, it was famously recorded by Frank Sinatra and Sinatra won the Grammy for best male vocal in 1966 for it.
1: And I hate those old Frank Sinatra songs because he sounds so like his accent gets thicker the older he gets. And it's just like, I can't take it. <laughs>
0: Uh, Beyond the Blue Horizon by Robin Whiting and Harling, originally from the 1903 movie Monte Carlo, performed by Jeanette McDonald. It became her signature song, uh, and she I've never heard of Jeanette McDonald, but she was a huge star. From the late 1930s to the mid-40s, she was in 29 feature films, Jesus. four of which received Best Picture nominations.
1: Never heard of her, yeah.
0: Never heard of her. She was a huge time, a huge time star. German, what did you think was the best muppeteering moment this week?
1: Uh, I think Beyond the Blue Horizon was super impressive It's the closing number. They bring out this giant set, like this is showing the money they have at this point, and you know all these muppets are just moving up and down and around and moving upstairs and moving, interacting with um, the the host, and it, it reminded me of a big Busby Berkeley musical moment. Because when film school, they showed us a bunch of Busby Berkeley movies, so they were big moving a big moment in movie history where he had these giant set pieces of dancers. And um, it reminded me of that. And it was just huge. It was a huge scale moment for the show. <laughs> what
0: about uh, you? I agree. That's, that's literally what I put. It yeah. was just so many moving <laughs> Muppets, great set piece. It was a great bit that in addition to performing the song, there's also this like subplot of them dragging Kermit up yeah, and him resisting. So there was stuff to look at. It wasn't just straightforward. Um, so I agree. Best cheering moment goes to that entire number.
1: It was nuts. Like I, that must the production value is huge on that. So
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jarman says so it's time to tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek: The Original Series.
1: So I apologize in advance. I started writing this recap, and th- this is one of the few episodes where there's just a lot of shit happening. Uh, there's, well,
0: they cut back and forth so heavy.
1: Yeah, it's like there's two stories happening at once, which doesn't always happen very much in original series. It happens a lot in future series of Star Trek.
0: Well, but, what I, my observation about that is that it happens a lot in original series, but there's one plot you clearly don't need to care about.
1: And we don't mention sometimes it's not that important. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like
0: you, they get the check back on the ship three times over the course of the episode. But this time it was almost 50 50.
1: Yeah. And that's basically what you have the in future series going forward. And a lot of TV shows are like this. You have the. 60 to 70 percent is the a plot and then you have 40 to 30 percent is the b plot there's always those two things in a show to keep people interested and so this kind of follows that that way but more like, like Steve you said like 50 50 so apologize in advance so here we go uh the enterprise arrives at planet uh Sapradon, where the local sun is about to go supernova and destroy everything so kirk spock and mccoy ...beam down to the planet after finding that the planet is surprisingly completely empty to their scanners. There's no intelligent life there, even though it's supposed to be a very big planet teeming with life. So once they beam down, they actually encounter someone, and it turns out to be a replica of a man named Atos. He's the librarian of the whole planet. And they get to meet the real him, not one of his replicas, like a robot or something. And he tells them that everyone else on the planet has already left for safety, and he hopes to leave and join his family soon as well... And that the three of them need to hurry up and leave too before the sun goes supernova. He thinks that there are just other people that live on this planet. But he tells them that they are, um, once he brings them to the library of the planet where he's the librarian. And they now have access to all the planet's historical records. He tells them to go find a memory tape of what time period interests them and bring it to him. So Kirk finds a tape that he points him towards that shows a time period looking like our 1700s-ish, maybe 1600s. Um, and Bones finds one of what looks like the planet's ice age time periods, ice, ice tundra. They're looking at video screens showing these time periods, which is pretty cool. And But just then, Kirk hears a scream from a woman nearby, and he immediately goes to run to find out who this woman is screaming, and unknowingly, as he run, runs through an arch, he goes through a portal and disappears into it. Atos tries to stop him, but he can't catch him in time. And then before he can stop them, more people, Bones and, and Spock go running after Kirk, and they too disappear through the portal. So Kirk ends up in the 1700 style place that he saw in the memory tape and Spock and Bones end up in the ice age that Bones saw in the memory tape. And apparently Atos didn't mention that they were actually bringing him the memory tape of the actual time period that they wanted to go to on this planet so they could escape through time from the supernova.
0: Very common. Small omission, dude.
1: Yeah, he should have said something about that. In the 1700s, Kirk finds the woman that was screaming and is seeming to be harassed by two men with swords. So he starts fighting with them to fend them off and sends them off running. And the woman thanks him and Kirk tells her to come back with him to the library. She's like, library, what are you talking about? But okay, I'll go with you because you saved me. And he gets back to the portal area that he left, but there's just a brick wall there. But he can now hear Bones and Spock yelling for him. Meanwhile, Bones and Spock are in the harsh ice tundra of the Ice Age, but now they can hear Kirk yelling for them where the portal used to be. But Kirk gets taken off by the police in the 1700s era because apparently the woman that was being harassed had actually just robbed those men. And now they think that Kirk is an accomplice. But before they can take him uh, to the jail, they hear him talking with Bones and Spock and believe that he's a witch talking to evil spirits. So they take him to jail. He'll have to go on trial then as a witch. Meanwhile, back in the Ice Age, Spock and Bones go to look for shelter, but Bone passes out from the cold. But just then a hooded figure helps Spock and Bones get to uh, their cave. As Spock lays bone, Bones down to rest and warm up in the cave, the hooded figure turns out to be a beautiful woman. Good, Go figure. <laughs> who came from the future just like them, but she was sent here as a punishment long time ago and not for escaping from the supernova. So she was like punished and sent here. That's where apparently Ataz sends people when they are bad to this Ice Age place. But back in the 1700s place, the judge for the upcoming witch trial, which reminds me of Steve when he was in the crucible um, as the judge,
0: (laughs) I could see that My outfit wasn't that different from that.
1: uh, Yeah, it was basically like he's the crucible judge uh, for the witch trials. Um, He visits Kirk in the prison to question him. And Kirk finds out that he, too, is from the future, this judge guy. And he's one of the refugees in the supernova, but he tries to to not deny it. Um, But Kirk is finally able to convince him to help him get out of prison and take him back to the portal. And the judge explains that the machine that Atos uses to send people to the past first recalibrates them to that age so their body can survive in the environment. And as a consequence, they can never then go back to the present. But Kirk's body was never prepped for that time period, so he can still go back. But more importantly, he can't stay in this time period or he'll soon die. And the same would be true for Spock and Bones, but they don't know that yet because they're in a different place. So back in the Ice Age, Spock's mental state is starting to become affected by being in the time period, and he's starting to revert back to the barbarous ways of the Vulcans as they were 5,000 years ago. So he starts to fall in love with the woman who helped them. Her name is Zerabeth. What a cool name. So Bones soon wakes up, and he tries to tell Spock they need to go back to where the portal was so they can find Kirk and get the hell out of here. But Zerabeth has told Spock that they can't go back because of Atos's machine changing them for that time period. Uh, Bones and Spock fight over this, but Bones shows Spock that he is losing his logic and this makes them try once more to venture out for the portal. Spock is like, oh shit, I'm losing control of my emotions. Meanwhile, Kirk, back in the 1700s, finally jumps back through the portal. He fights with Atos a little bit and finally convinces him to help him find Bones and Spock and where they are in time. They finally find the right time period and Kirk can hear Bones and Spock calling out to him, um... Scotty is then radioing down and telling them they have little time left before the sun goes supernova. And Spock doesn't want to leave Zarabeth, but he finally pushes himself to jump through with Bones through the portal. And once they are all through, Atos is able to finally set the machine back to where his family is so he can jump through and join his family. And Kirk, Spock and Bones beam up just in time to zoom away from the supernova. So that's the episode. Steve, what did you think of all our yesterdays?
0: Well, seeing this episode uh, made me think of, I think it was the last one, the one before, where I commented that it felt like it had really high production value. And you were like, oh, it's because they had no money left. So they (laughs) had to use whatever sets or costumes were there. And this feels like that to the next level. It looks, it looked great though. I thought they, it looked great. They got so much production value. Yeah. But clearly none of these costumes were made for this. They were taken from some period drama that was being filmed on the studio well that's a great thing you're absolutely right square
1: (laughs) (laughs) they use stuff from like movies and shows and other things that are being used but they did it so well like that was so smart because it looked like it was a high budget episode off the enterprise and they actually saved money this time by not using the enterprise crew at all as you might have noticed
0: yeah a few voiceovers but that's it exactly
1: yeah so the the opposite thing this time we're like using none of the enterprise at all (laughs)
0: Um, so if anything, I think that's led to some of the best looking episodes is when they're having to do it on the cheap.
1: And figure stuff out creatively. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. True. So maybe maybe we were just about to see the best of Star Trek if they ah, hadn't got canceled. That's true. <laughs> um, so some things I liked. I like that it felt like a big budget episode. Uh, I like that Kirk was accused of being a witch. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, I like that we got time travel, but to two very diverse settings. Hmm. That's true. Um, And I feel like this is only like the fourth time Spock has gotten some real play in the whole show. Hell yeah. So good for Spock. (laughs) This is also one of like four times that uh, Kirk hasn't been the one to get a girl and had zero love interest with anyone like zero.
1: So I will say this is around the time that Kirk was starting to get real pissed. No, William Shatner, not Kirk, that it was now pivoting to Spock because audience reactions, even after the end of season two, where women were going crazy for Spock and not for William Shatner, for, for Leonard Nimoy. And so he was already pissed about it going into season three. And by this time, the studio was embracing it because, like, girls love Leonard Nimoy. They're not loving William Shatner. And William Shatner, it actually caused a rift between Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner for a while. And then they became best friends again after that, later on with the convention circuit and then getting into the movies and stuff. But it was the first time, the only time in their whole lives where they weren't friends because he was like, jealous and pissed that the love interest was becoming Spock <laughs> but anyways continue as a little bit
0: um, and one other thing I liked I don't know if this is on purpose but uh, when they're wandering through the frozen wastes and McCoy is collapsed and then this hooded furry figure shows up and, like drags them out of the snow and into a cave and there's a big reveal it was reminiscent I don't know if this is the right word or not it's not reminiscent because it happened before Pres- prescient Prescient of the 2009 Star Trek where right. Spock in a very similar hooded outfit comes out of the snow, saves Kirk, and then there's a big reveal.
1: <laughs> I did not even think about that. It was very prescient. You're very visually right. looked
0: similar. Wow. I didn't. Um, I,
1: yeah, you're absolutely correct. Didn't that didn't. I don't
0: know if that was on purpose or if I'm reading too much.
1: About. I bet it was. That's, that's funny.
0: Um, things I struggled with a bit. Uh, the. So conceptually, I felt like I didn't understand the rules because a they presented them in a f- confusing way. In that we heard a lie about how it worked, and then we heard the truth about how it worked, but there was no reason for us to believe one of- over the other right. at that moment. Until Bones came out and like she would lie, she would cheat, she'd do anything to stop you. <laughs> um, and so because of that I was confused, and then additionally I feel like they sent mixed messages. Because the whole idea is that if they went back and their body wasn't adjusted, they wouldn't survive that time, but they didn't go through that process, so they can go back, but yet for some reason, Spock begins to revert to the way Vulcans were then.
1: Like, it kind of showed Bones being more easily agitated as well, but they didn't really go far enough to, like, show that that was because of
0: that effect. You're right. Like, right. And so because of that, when they said that fact, you've been changed, I was like, oh, that explains why Spock is reverting. And then when right. they, they, they were like, nope, that's not how it works. I went, great. Nothing really explains why hope Spock is acting that way.
1: Great. Well, they didn't say that. They didn't say that wasn't why he was reverting, did they?
0: Well, but the thing is that process to, like, get them ready to go through so they could survive didn't happen to them yeah which I'm is saying, why they're the ones that are able to go back and so my question is why are then they then changing when they get in there well because he was reverting
1: because they didn't go through the process like zara has not changed because she went through the process first before they pushed her through but because okay. spock and bones didn't they're reverting back they to this reverting. yeah exactly that's the so kind then of you're is right what they're then going they should
0: for. have played it harder with mccoy then
1: absolutely i agree with that entirely. okay yep. okay <laughs> all right, that comes into focus. Because McCoy now. was it kind didn't of like me at the time. Yeah. McCoy was being very easily agitated, but it wasn't enough compared to Spock. Fox I don't know if he was being changed. agitated.
0: He was sweaty a lot. <laughs> McCoy was so sweaty this episode. I thought
1: they were going to mention that he was dying. That's why he was sweating so much. But they, well,
0: and that's clearly what they were trying to show. But it, but it was after he was like recovering. You just continued <laughs> to be wet.
1: And plus, people were just sweaty in the early 70s and late 60s. They're just sweaty all the time. So.
0: Uh, that and the the stakes with Spock felt really dumb at one point and it made me roll my arse eyes so hard I almost had an aneurysm <laughs> Spock really wrestles with the logic of what he should do about McCoy because McCoy's unconscious he's like I can't abandon him now he's unconscious but now that he's safe my obligation to him is over if I don't go get the captain then none of us will get back but if I do and he went through this whole thing about how he didn't have time and he had to go and then she goes and talks and they talk for like 30 seconds and then McCoy is just up. So this whole thing meant nothing. <laughs> True. <laughs> it meant nothing.
1: It was a uh, filler in the script.
0: <laughs> right. Um. So it just didn't make sense to me. Like if anything, I thought Spock was going to leave and then McCoy would wake up and we would get a scene between him and what What was her crazy Zarebeth. name? Zarabeth. That would somehow reveal more with Spock coming back and not knowing. And it would have played better, I think.
1: That's true. They, they missed the opportunity there. They've they they they've been mishandling Bones this entire season. So,
0: Oh, yeah. They clearly don't know what to do with him because he's weird. not Kirk and he's not Spock.
1: <laughs> he's a third of the triumvirate. They should figure it out.
0: The and like, mo- Spock and is they... better at science and medicine than Bones somehow.
1: At least in this episode, he does admit he's like, I'm not the doctor. Um, So I like oh, that. Oh, that's
0: right. He does say that. You're right. Yeah,
1: and then he's like, uh, "Then Bones has that snippy line about saying he's not a certified doctor or something like that." It was so it was good.
0: Um, so yeah, I liked a lot of this episode. Thought some things didn't hit quite right. I felt like there wasn't enough plot for Kirk. Hmm. Um, but otherwise, a good episode.
1: Yeah, a lot happens, and it's it's a like you said. I love that Spock finally gets some. You know, and it's very few and far between that happens. Um. I also thought it was very funny that Kirk's sleeping when we see him in the cell, because there's so many episodes where Kirk just can sleep anywhere at any time they cut to him in a cell in like a, in the, the plains, uh, in a desert, he's sleeping all the time. It's <laughs> just a weird thing that reoccurs. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, I think it was a pretty upper, upper episode for this season for sure. Absolutely. Um, but anyways for trivia, we got a few good bits here because this is one of the last episodes of the season. Um, the name of the librarian, Dr. Atoz, we thought it was very creative, is a play on the phrase A to Z. because Oh, the, that is that is clever. Yeah, because the writer of this episode is a librarian, which we'll get to later. Um, Sulu, Ahura, and Chekhov do not appear in this episode. Scotty does not appear on screen, but has several voiceovers, as Steve mentioned earlier. Yeah. In no other episode are only three regular members of the crew seen in person. This is the only one that ever happens. Um, the title, um, All Our Yesterdays, um that's it, right? Yeah, all our issues. It's taken from Macbeth uh, from William Shakespeare. Uh, the title character speaks, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of record- recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. So, it's a Macbeth line. Uh, the name of the device uh, that that the um, ATOS is using to send people back in time is the Atavacron and it's quite a descriptive word because atavus is Latin for an ancestor or ancestral type from which a character is assumed to be inherited. And cron is Latin for time. So, in essence, the atavacron is a device which can send you to an ancestral place of any time period, which is, that's some deep cuts there they're going for. Um, according to the star date, this episode is chronologically the last of the series. It actually comes later than the next episode we're going to review, the last episode. So even the production number and air data earlier uh, than Turnabout Intruder, this is a, therefore the last voyage of the USS Enterprise in the original series on screen, which is kind of neat. Uh, the Atavacron computer used by Mr. Atos is the same one used by Gary Seven in Assignment Earth, the episode of Assignment Earth, uh, which is kind of fun. Okay. Reusing those props, man. Yeah, um, man, get your money worth <laughs> One of two episodes written by Jean-Lissette Eroste. Uh, this is a, a woman. She was a U.S. A UCLA librarian and star Trek fan whose unsolicited scripts were read and recommended by co-producer Robert Justman. And her other script was another episode of season three. Is there no truth in beauty? And that's the one with the reveal at the end. The lady was actually blind the whole time. And she has that dress. That's a uh, echolocation oh, yeah. dress. So a lot of people would send in episodes unsolicited to uh, star Trek offices and someone of them got picked up and she was one of them. Um, and Ian Wolfe, who played Doctor, uh, Mr. Attaz, he also played um, Septimus in Bread and Circuses not too long ago.
0: Okay, yeah, the Roman one.
1: Yeah, they basically just used him in season two, and they used him again in this episode. But I didn't, I didn't recognize him, so he did a good job acting. So, Steve, what are our Trek Connection Muppet Connections this time around?
0: Well, playing in the role of the prosecutor was Kermit Murdoch, and on stage for the Muppets was Kermit the Frog. Well, look at that. That's right. A Kermit. Uh, in a piece of the action, Jojo Krakow, the gangster, was played by Vic Tabak. Vic Tabak went on to play Mel, the owner of Mel's Diner, in Linda Lavin's hit show, Alice. Well, look at that. There we go. Oh, <laughs> well, that's all of them. Yeah, dude, it was a rough week. No,
1: that's that's still great. You did a great job. Uh, but these are basically the same episode. I mean, come on. I would say exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, everyone seemed to have disappeared on the planet when they arrived, just like Gonzo disappears when he plays his trumpet in the beginning of the episode
0: of of Muppets. Okay. Uh, Both feature people being dragged places against their will. Mm -hmm. Kirk is taken to jail and Kermit is dragged to the top of the birthday cake.
1: That is very true. Uh, Statler and Waldorf take a walk down their memories of years past, just as Bones, Spock, and Kirk take a real journey into the years
0: past. Oh, I like that. I've got something similar. Both feature blasts from the past, the crew and their time travel, and the return of Wayne and Wanda. Very
1: true. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. What's that noise? Transporter (laughs) non-function. Scared. scary. Transporter non-function. All right. It's time of the episode where we uh, take one character from one episode and transport them to the other episode and vice versa. So
0: what you got for us, Steve? This week, Trek up. Muppets, I'm bringing over Zarebeth. And having her replace Zuzu, the Hungarian water juggler, (laughs) crying, lying, and doing whatever she has to backstage in order to end her loneliness and get in front of the crowd. That's deep.
1: Deep. Uh, Trek to Muppets. I have Ataz transporting over to take the place of Zuzu Fitzwaller, the Hungarian (laughs) water juggler, (laughs) because he realizes as he jumps through at the end of the episode, he's gone to the wrong place with the machine. He's now in the Muppet show. And he now is a sad Uh, Hungarian man without his family. He was
0: going to go meet his wife and child.
1: He was going to. Now he's crying. He's doomed to forever juggle water the rest of his life.
0: That'd be great. Yeah, he goes through the machine that gets his body ready, and it just turns him into felt. That's
1: yeah. He's felt now. He's Fitzwaller, the the Hungarian water juggler.
0: That's it. Uh, Mavis to track. I'm going to replace all the atazes with frogs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just keep appearing and addressing Kirk as he's wandering around. And Kirk just keeps like strangling them and hurting them <laughs> and throwing them places. and chopping them. And there's always another frog. <laughs> I love it.
1: Uh, i up at the Star Trek. Uh, Linda Lavin takes the place of Zarabeth. I have uh, Spock and Bones get to the cave with her and she starts singing and dancing. So Spock runs over to Bones, slaps him to wake him up and says, we're getting the hell out of here. <laughs>
0: Okay, I like that. I like uh, that very much. Yeah.
1: So that brings us to the end of episode 79 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Uh, and for next episode, we'll be wrapping up season three of Star Trek with the last episode. So we'll do the best of season three, but also the best of the entire
0: series of the original. series. That is series. so crazy that we have gone through oh my God. all of the original series. It's in crazy quick time.
1: So stay tuned for next episode 80. It's going to be
0: a big one. All right, join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Dudley Moore.
1: And original series
0: episode, Turnabout Intruder. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us.
1: Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media, on
0: Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.